Let's have a word of prayer. Father, as we uh, look into your word this morning, would you give us minds to understand, uh, hearts to take it in and to obey. Father, would you make us more like Jesus, your son, Father, that we may be his presence into a world that needs him so deeply. Lord, teach us how to live and who to be and how to feel and how to think. Just remake us by your word, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, ignore the sermon title, please, because I don't think that's actually what the sermon is about this morning. But uh, we're starting off, as we said, in the book of Acts. And let me give you a couple of a couple of need-to-knows about the book of Acts. So first of all, uh, Acts is actually the second part of a two-part work. Did you catch that here at the very beginning? In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. Now, what book is the first half of Acts? Luke, that's right. We got one of our Bible studies, I think, who's right on top of that. Yeah, Luke is the first half of the set. If you, as a matter of fact, the book of Luke, we need to know a little something about it in order to understand the book of Acts as well, because the book of Luke gives us the purpose statement for the book of Acts. Luke chapter 1, many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us Christians, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. So again, listen to what he's saying. He's saying uh, people have, have told this story over and over again, and these stories have been handed down to us by those who saw these events happen. He says, with this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you. Most excellent Theophilus. There's our friend Theophilus again. Why? So that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. Okay, so let's talk about, let me summarize. Luke says, I have gathered eyewitness accounts. I have carefully searched them out and verified them so that when we start talking about Jesus, you will have reason to be convinced that what you are hearing is true. Does this sound like uh, Luke is telling us we should have a faith that is purely private and personal? If it makes you feel good, then it must be true. Is that what Luke is saying? No. Luke's saying, I went to make sure that everything we've been hearing is true. It corresponds to reality. It really happened this way. And I did this for the church, and especially for this guy, Theophilus. We have no idea who he is, by the way. Those two, that word, uh, that name, Theophilus, it's actually two words combined into one. It's a compound word. Theo from Theos, which means God. Philus from Phileo, which means to love. You start to think maybe Theophilus is sort of a pseudonym. Or maybe it's even a way of just referring to the whole church. All of you people who love God, I want you to know the truth of what you have believed. 
And what happens when we know that the things we believe, it's not just wishful thinking, but it's really true. There is a, a moment in Star Wars, The Force Awakens. You're really lucky to hear a Star Wars analogy this morning. Where uh, the characters, the main characters, Ray and, and Finn, encounter Han Solo. And this is years after uh, the, the Return of the Jedi in the original Star Wars movie. It's billions of dollars after those movies. And, and they say, you know, they're, they're, they're saying, so you're, you're saying that you, this stuff, these legends that we've heard, and Han Solo says, they're all true. And it changes the lives of these characters because they're thinking we were living in these sad circumstances and we were oppressed, but now we know there's really a power out there that can transform our lives and make them better. See, if, if this is all just wishful thinking, then we're not really looking for something that will make our lives better. We're looking for something that will help us to tolerate the worst that the world has to offer. We say Jesus is just wishful thinking, that he really rose from the dead, then we're just telling ourselves lies that make us feel better about what comes after death. And Luke says that is not what we're doing. I looked into this, and everything that I'm about to tell you really happened. You may not know this, but Luke is actually quoting some of the best rules of ancient historiography, the practice of writing history in the ancient world. Uh, Richard Bauckham wrote a whole book called, I think it was called The Gospels and the Eyewitnesses, where Bauckham says, have you ever noticed when you're reading these, this is my, you know, summation, my uh, uh, putting it in my own words. Bauckham says, have you ever noticed that some of the stories in the Gospels have people's names? and others don't. Sometimes it's like, well, the ruler of the synagogue, and other times it's Jairus. And sometimes it's, you know, there are some women at the tomb, and sometimes it's Mary at the tomb. There's some people who are completely anonymous and some people who we hear about in great detail. And Bauckham suggests, and I, I think there's good reason to believe that he's right, when the gospel writers use somebody's name, it is a sort of ancient footnote you ever read a book with footnotes in it? It's, you're, you're reading and it's, maybe they quote some other author and at the end of the quotation, there's a tiny little number at the end of it. That's a footnote. And you go down to the bottom of the page and it says, cited from this book written by this author and so on. Bauckham suggests that when we hear people's names, it's a way of the author saying, I talked to this person and got the story straight from them. They were there. And if you want to know if it's true, go ask them. Because that's why we've got footnotes. So if you want to know that people aren't just making everything up, you can go and check their sources. All right, that's all for free this morning. So let's get into what the passage is actually about. Luke writes so that we will have confidence about the things that we have been taught. He assures us that he has carefully researched all these things. And at the beginning of the book of Acts, at the beginning of the history of the church of Jesus Christ, this is what happens. It says, on one occasion, 
While Jesus was eating with his disciples, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then they gathered around him, and they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. Okay, let's unpack that. Jesus says, I have a job for you. Your job is to wait. I like that job. Well, sometimes. Sometimes waiting is hard. But it sounds easy at the moment, doesn't it? Your job is to wait. Do nothing. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for God to do something, to fill you with his Holy Spirit. And the disciples say to Jesus, is this what we've always hoped would happen? Are you now going to give us our independence as a country and set us up in our own land so that we won't be oppressed and we won't be ruled over by people who don't care anything for us other than what they can get out of us? And they're, they're thrilled, and they're excited, and Jesus says, that's none of your business. Now, now let, me, let me back up from that just a minute, because Jesus doesn't say, what a stupid question. He doesn't say, oh, you guys, haven't we been over this? No, he, he just tells them, that's not your concern. You're worried about the wrong thing. And, and he doesn't do so in a, in a grumpy, angry sort of way. He does it in a matter-of-fact sort of way. I think that's how we're intended to read this. You know, don't you and I get on the wrong track sometimes? I, like, so many, if you've ever watched a romantic comedy... Like, the storyline of pretty much all of them is that, you know, like when Harry met Sally, if you remember this movie, when Harry met Sally, uh, Billy Crystal, Meg Ryan, this is back in the 80s, I think, and, and, uh, and they become friends. And then at the end of the movie, they realize that, you know, they've dated all of these other people, and, you know, one of them's gotten divorced. But at the end of the movie, they realized, oh, you know, my, my future bride, my future husband has been with me all the time. You know, it's Sally. It's, it's Harry. And it, it's, it's a good moment when they realize. I mean, there's some conflict because it's a movie and, you know, it wasn't ready to end quite yet. But, but it's a good moment when you realize that the thing that you thought you wanted isn't actually the thing you wanted at all. And something much better is right there for you to take it. That's what Jesus is saying to his disciples. Jesus, you know, if it was, if it was the modern era, he probably would have said, hey, have you guys seen Harry, When Harry Met Sally? I'm telling you, this is just like that movie. You think you want this thing, but really you want this thing over here. Jesus says, don't worry about your political concerns. Don't worry uh, about you know, when it is that God's going to set your circumstances to be everything that you want them to be. God has that handled. He'll take care of it at the right time because Jesus also doesn't say God doesn't care about those things. He just says 
It's not for you to know the times or dates. That's God's business. All I want you to do is wait. Folks, there are a lot of good things that we want to do in our lives, aren't there? A lot of real difference that we want to make in the world. Maybe it's in your own family. Maybe you, you look at, at your children and the choices that they're making. You want them to make better choices and you're doing your best you know, to, to make it possible for them to make better choices. Maybe it's with your spouse. You see that they're really hurting and they're really struggling, and you want them to not be hurting and not be struggling anymore, and you're going to do everything in your power to change their circumstances, to make it better. Uh, as I've been married for 16 years now, uh, one of the things I've noticed is that uh, whenever Kayla feels sad, I want to make her feel better, and so I go like get a cupcake or something. And, you know, cupcakes are good, but they don't solve all the problems out there, do they? It's not in my power to make everything better for my wife or for my children or for my friends or for my country. doesn't mean I shouldn't work on any of these things or contribute to any of these things. But, folks, isn't Jesus, in a sense, telling us it's not for you to know the times or dates? Your job is to be faithful. And trust that God will finish that work at the right time. And trust that when you are faithful, God will allow you to be present in a meaningful sense. And he may even provide help and hope and rescue and deliverance through you. But that's God's business. His business is when and where. Our business is to be faithful. And when God is about to start this major new initiative in forming the church, what does he say? He says, leave the what's and the wherefores and the times to God, and you wait until he equips you to do all that he has called you to do. Wait. But he does something else for the disciples as well. See, they ask Jesus, hey, is this when you're going to take care of the most important thing that we can possibly think of? And Jesus says, well, that's not your business. It's okay. It's not, it's not wrong to ask, but I'm not going to answer. And then he says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Now, if you're the disciples with the first half of this sentence, you're thinking, yes, look, any minute now, we're going to pick up our swords and get rid of the Romans because that's the most important thing. But Jesus says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you for this purpose. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And most commentators see in this particular verse an outline for the whole book of Acts. The progress of the gospel, the good news about Jesus Christ from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the Ethiopian eunuch to the Roman soldiers, Cornelius and his family, to 
Greece, and then to Achaia, and to Asia, and to Rome, and all the way out to Spain. We think Paul made it to Spain before the end of his life, before even 30 or 40 years were up after Jesus had died and risen from the dead. Someone had walked from Jerusalem to Spain. Maybe people had gone as far as India. Church tradition tells us that some of the other apostles went in different directions and the gospel was going out all sorts of different places. And the book of Acts is telling us that whatever our big concerns are in this life, the most important concern that we have as members of Jesus Christ, as members of the church of Jesus Christ is that the gospel begins in Jerusalem, extends into Judea, makes it to the hated Samaritans, and goes out into all of the earth. And folks, what if we lived like that was what we were really about? Let me tell you a couple of things. I think, first of all, we would worry a lot less. We would be scared a lot less. Folks, does anyone here watch the news? When you watch the news, and I know it's more of you, first of all. It's like three of you raised your hands, but that's just because you're Presbyterians and don't want to participate. But when you watch the news, most of the time, to make you feel good, make you feel afraid. Afraid, right? This is not a commentary on the reporters or mainstream media or anything like that, okay? Most of the time when you watch the news, it makes you feel afraid, doesn't it? Why? The, yeah, tell us about the bad stuff. The bad stuff makes the news a lot of the time. Why does the bad stuff make you afraid? You can't control it. The world's out of control. And when the world's out of your control, what could happen? What's that? Chaos. chaos. And what, why are we afraid of chaos? Are we afraid we'll lose something? Like we, we look at, we read the news about the economy, right? And, and it's when it's, the economy is good, we're like, woo, you know, it's all right. We got jobs and maybe we'll get a raise this year. And if the economy's bad, we think, oh, no, like I could lose it all. And we read about, you know, politics. You think, yes, the right person is in power. Everything's going to be okay. Or, oh, no, I can't believe we elected that person. We're all doomed. Have you noticed that people say that about every election, by the way? Half the people are like, yes, everything will be great forever. The other half are like, it's all over. America is dead. Every election. Does that tell you that maybe we're thinking about this wrong? For crying out loud, folks. See, when we watch the news, we become afraid because we think we're going to be hurt by all of those bad things that are out there, don't we? We think that someone will take away my living. Someone will take away my freedom. Someone will take away my life. We say these are the most important things in the world. Don't we? Is that what God told us to be concerned about? Make sure no one takes away your freedom. It's in Hezekiah chapter 873, 
There is no book of Hezekiah, folks. There's definitely no chapter 873. Does the Bible say you need to make sure that you keep a certain standard of living? Because it's wrong. It's wrong if you're poor. It's wrong if, if you struggle to have a nice house. If you don't have as many cars as the person next door. But isn't that kind of what we believe? Those are the important things. Folks, if we believe that the important thing was actually the mission that Jesus Christ gave us, that the good news about who he is will make us powerful witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. I guarantee you, you would watch the news. We would watch the news differently. We would look at it and we would say, look at that opportunity for the gospel of Jesus Christ. People are afraid. And you know what God does for us? He takes away our fear because he rose from the stinking dead. Who can, who can hurt us? Who can take anything away that God will not return with interest? See how maybe we might not be as afraid if we cared about the things that God cares about. But would you notice something else? If we cared about people knowing Jesus, and that was our primary concern, not only would we, would we be set free from our fear, but wouldn't we get a lot of the things that we were concerned about in the first place? Because the Bible says that it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. He's the one who really makes us free. I love the Bill of Rights. As a matter of fact, for Christmas, I got Kayla a copy of the Declaration of Independence. It's framed. We could hang it on the wall. Yeah, we homeschool, so we, we like stuff like that. And I did it because I think the Declaration of Independence is one of the greatest documents that a human being has ever written. It's spectacular. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal and are endowed by their creator with the right to li life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Folks, is, is the best way to defend those rights to take them to court, or is it to live them in Jesus Christ and to invite people to that same kind of life in Jesus Christ so that they will experience that freedom as well and they will want to extend it to the people around them? Folks, we're, we're talking about world transformation here by being faithful to the work that God has called us to. Here's the sad truth about all the institutions that we trust in. No matter how great they are, they will fail and they will fall. Do you remember that we had a civil war 160 years ago? Did our institutions prevent that? No. No. But you know what can change it? Is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Is telling people, you know, we ought to actually live up to the ideals that we espouse in our Declaration of Independence and in the Bill of Rights because they make sense in Jesus. I was reading a, a book this week, uh, and it was, 
Well, you know what? I don't want to go there. Let me, let me instead tell you about an, another movie, because this is movie day. I've just been co- quoting movies all day. Last night, Kayla and I watched, uh, uh, watched A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. Has anyone seen that? It's a documentary about Fred Rogers, Mr. Rogers. Uh, now, I am of the age that I watched Mr. Rogers growing up. He was already getting kind of old, because I grew up in the 80s and in the 90s. Uh, but I, I remember how different Mr. Rogers was from everything else. Sometimes I didn't like him because he was different. One of the things I remember most of all, and that came back as we were watching this documentary, was when you watched Mr. Rogers, it was slow. <laughs> I mean, it was slow. He would be like, have you ever felt mad? And then he'd pause for 30 seconds. Like, come on, man, say something. <laughs> and uh, one person at the beginning of the movie said, uh, everyone in TV, you're like a producer for Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. And they said, people used to call us and say, by every measure, your show should not work because you do everything wrong. It is slow. The production values are quite low. Remember, remember the land of make-believe? They were sock puppets. And Mr. Rogers was standing behind a, a thing, and he'd just be, like, talking and doing the puppet. Do you remember what the puppets looked like near the end of his show? They didn't upgrade the puppets. I don't think they even fixed them when they broke. The production values were low. <laughs> but what drove Mr. Rogers was this idea that there are all of these, you know, TV is such an opportunity to teach kids the good things about themselves. And he was, I think it was fair to say, he was offended by so much of what was on children's TV. Like the Transformers uh, cartoon and all this stuff where people are just beating each other up. Yeah, it's engaging and it's interesting and all those things. But Mr. Rogers was saying, this is not making healthy children. This is not making us the people that we need to be. And so he kept, he kept doing his show. He tried to quit once. Uh, in, I think it was in the 80s. And do something different. But at that point, Superman became a thing that kids were watching or doing. And, and kids were jumping off of roofs with Superman capes, and they were getting hurt, and they were dying. And so Mr. Rogers came back, and the first week he was back, he did a, a week of shows on superheroes and doing things like you shouldn't jump off your roof because that's what he did. When Bobby Kennedy was assassinated, they showed this on the, the movie last night, Bobby Kennedy was assassinated in the land of make-believe that week. Danny, or Daniel, the uh, lion sock puppet, who's the most grungy of them all, said to one of the people in the land of make-believe, what does assassination mean? He talked to kids about things that they needed to know. And maybe the rest of us weren't brave enough to say. Why do I talk about Mr. Rogers here? Mr. Rogers, uh, I noticed something as I was watching last night. I don't know if it was intentional. I don't even know if it, if it was just something I was making up or if it was true. But it seemed to me like Mr. Rogers smiled a lot more earlier in his career than he did later. And it, was, it seemed to be because he came to a realization that 
this work I'm doing will never be done. Someone needs to keep doing this, and as long as I'm alive, I've got to keep doing it. It wasn't so much because he was sad or depressed or discouraged, although I think he was sometimes, but I think it was because of the gravity of what he found himself doing. Do you watch Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood and think uh, this is a good way for kids to pass the time? Maybe. I mean, frankly, as parents, we think of the TV as a good way for the kids to pass the time more often than we'd like to admit. But Mr. Rogers thought of his job as transforming the world, one child at a time. See, that's what God is calling us to, folks. Your every moment is filled with meaning and purpose and potential. And how do you need to cooperate with that? You need to start in just the way Jesus told his disciples. Don't leave, but wait. Wait for the gift my Father promised you, for the Holy Spirit. Because if you want to change this world, you need a power that is out of this world. As we take a look at the book of Acts over the next several months, most likely, that's what we're going to keep coming back to. What we are about as followers of Jesus Christ is actually an invasion of earth by heaven. And folks, we need it. We need it. And we are called to cooperate in it by the power and the gifting of the Holy Spirit. I know that you can't go home today and be like, I know exactly how to apply this, right? I know this, this isn't like three easy steps to change the world. Okay, I'm going to ask you to hang with me. Because next week we're going to start seeing the ways that God shows up through his people.